0: Well, first, I just want to thank Lloyd for filling in last week. He did a great job. Thought Levi was going to get wet, he didn't. That was great. And then family band. I mean, delight in the Lord. That was awesome. Thanks, Lloyd. Um, we're starting a new series today: Jonah, the mystery of God's grace. Uh, we're our, our church like tagline: Bible, grace, family. Um, I think it's appropriate every one, you know, a couple times a year to, like, make sure that we really hammer in what makes us unique as a congregation, and that is a, a really relentless, maybe even reckless, folk li- focus on grace. And ironically, uh, Jonah is typically not what you would think of as a, as a, a grace-based story, but we're going to see uh, as we work through the narrative that... that it, that God's grace is everywhere intertwined and often very mysteriously and weirdly and maybe even uncomprehens- uh, uncomprehensibly. Um, so, incomprehensibly. So, uh, I, I invite you to to, to, to follow along and, and, and don't be too uh, caught up in maybe the way that, uh, if you've heard the story before, the way that it's been uh, told, because I think there's a lot here uh, that is is fresh and new and exciting and hopefully uh, we'll kind of impact the way we treat each other and uh, the people outside of our community. So uh, we've got a lot of a lot of uh, verse to go through, so let's uh, read it together. We're going to start out in Jonah 1. This is 1 through 16. Uh, Yahweh, just so you remember, uh, anytime in the Old Testament you see uh LORD with all caps, that's uh, covering up for God's personal name, Yahweh. Okay, So you can say, Yahweh's word came to Jonah, Amittai's son. Get up and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it for their evil has come to my attention. So Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from Yahweh. He went down to Joppa and found a ship headed for Tarshish. He paid the fare and went aboard to go with them to Tarshish, away from Yahweh. But Yahweh hurled a great wind upon the sea so that there was a great storm on the sea. The ship looked like it might be broken to pieces. The sailors are terrified. Each one cried out to his personal God or his country's God. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to make it lighter. Now Jonah had gone down into the hold of the vessel to lie down and was deep in sleep. Uh, the ship's officer, probably the captain, came and said to him, how can you possibly be sleeping so deeply? Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps the God and perhaps that God will give some thought to us so we don't perish." Meanwhile. The sailors said to each other, Come on, let's cast lots so we might learn who's to blame for this evil thing that's happening to us. They cast lots, the lot fell on Jonah. So they said to him, Tell us, since you're the cause of this evil happening to us, What do you do? And where are you from? What's your country? And of what people are you? He said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of heaven, the God who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were terrified and said to him, what have you done? The men knew that Jonah was fleeing from Yahweh because he had told them. They said to him, what will we do about you so the sea will become calm around us? Because the sea was continuing to rage. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm around you. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. The men rowed to reach dry land, but they couldn't manage it because the sea continued to rage against them. So they called on Yahweh, saying, please, Yahweh, don't let us perish on account of this man's life, and don't blame us for innocent blood. You're Yahweh. Whatever you want, you can do. Then they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. The men worshipped Yahweh with profound reverence. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made solemn promises. There's a lot there, um, but, you know, the basics of, of, of the text are Jonah's told to do something. He does not that. Uh, God sends a storm, um, and the sailors are like, ah, and so they throw him overboard, and the, and the, the storm ends. But who are the people that we're talking about, and, and what's kind of going on underneath the surface? Stuff that maybe would be um, natural and obvious to the first hearers of the text that are not obvious to us. Uh, the first thing is that Jonah is Amittai's son. This is not the first time in the Bible we've met Jonah. He's briefly mentioned in 2 Kings 14. Uh, and it turns out that, and, and this is important for later on in the story, so just hang on to this. But what Jonah Jonah was a prophet in 2 Kings, and he he was one of the better prophets. Usually when Israel had a prophet, the prophet would go around being like, you guys are terrible, repent, you're doing awful, God's going to judge you, it's the worst. Jonah was not that kind of prophet. Jonah got a good word from the Lord. Yahweh told Jonah, hey buddy, um, that land that's been taken away from us, from our enemies to, to the north, I'm going to give that back to you. Prophesy that we will have that land back. And Jonah made that prophecy and then the king Jeroboam believed it and he went and he seized territory that had been taken away from Israel for many years. So that's who Jonah is. He's a winner prophet. He's not not like a you're doing bad, you repent, repent. He's a a happy prophet, a good prophet, the kind of that you want to have. Nineveh, the great city. It is, in fact, the greatest city at the time of writing. This, This story takes place right around 720 B.C., um, and at that time, Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It's uh, the greatest of all cities. Everybody who's not a Ninevite hates Nineveh, because Ninevites go out and they, they, they take from everybody else. They don't worry about uh, anyone but themselves. Uh, they practice some very, very awful types of worship. And oddly, two books after Jonah, right? So Jonah, Micah, Nahum, if you're keeping track in the Bible. In Nahum, Nahum the prophet spends chapters going on about how God is going to obliterate Nineveh. So there's an odd contrast here, right? So on the one hand, Nahum is, is prophesying roughly at the same time as Jonah that Nineveh is going to get destroyed. And, the, and the, the people of Israel are like, yeah, we hate those guys. Let's get rid of them. And Jonah is given what seems to be like a counter-prophecy. Like, go cry out, you know, tell them to repent because the evils come to them, like, and maybe they can be restored, uh, Tarshish and Joppa. Uh, let's go to the map so you can see what's happening here. Uh, Jonah lives um, on the. If you see where it says Joppa, Jonah lives to the northeast on the um, on the sea on the water, uh, about uh, maybe a hundred miles or less. Um, he travels southwest to Joppa. It's the it's the largest port in the area, so he can make for Tarshish. We don't know exactly where Tarshish is, but most scholars think it's Spain. Um, and so you can see that Jonah. <laughs> Jonah could have had like a 400, 450 mile trip to Nineveh, say his peace and then move on, but instead decides to sail across to the end of the world uh, to get away from Nineveh, away from Yahweh. One of the interesting things about this is that in the ancient world, uh, when you are taken away from your homeland, your community, it's called being put into exile and it's pretty much synonymous with being dead. All of your customs, all of your—they don't go with you, right? And and we know uh, Tarshish gets mentioned a lot in the Old Testament. It's kind of this exotic, far-off land where there are no Israelites, no one worships the true God. It's uh, this—it's kind of like how we might think of Las Vegas. Um, It's just completely outside of our anything we can understand. Just parties all the time. Uh, And so when Jonah says that he's going to go live there, he's basically sort of slowly committing suicide. He's expecting to live a life without his people, without worship of his God, and he thinks it's worth it. Because what God's asked him to do is so heinous. And then look at that, right? So they cast lots. They're like, Jonah, what should we do? What does he say? Uh, Next slide. Oh, just pick me up. Hurl me into the sea. Is that, I mean, this is a guy who's already expecting to die, Okay, he's already expecting to live a life that's not even worth living. He, he doesn't have the guts, maybe, to go through it for himself, but this is a man who is so against what God's up to that he just expects death. And he's like, well, if it's now and you throw me in the sea, I guess that's you know, a bummer for me. I don't get to live longer, but look, I mean, how much better is Tarshish going to be? And so the first thing you know, sheets, um, is that Jonah would rather die than see God be gracious <laughs> To Nineveh. It's like a and uh and, and maybe maybe we can sort of uh, maybe we can sort of capture some of that. But I mean I don't think there's probably anybody here who's like, yeah, I would rather be dead than see God do something nice for somebody else. Like that that's probably not something that you think or feel at any, you know, in, in, in any way. But but I wonder if maybe some of us might have people or persons or groups in our lives that we really hate to see blessed. And so, uh, next slide. Is there any person or group that you hate seeing blessed? And that could be, um, you know, a person at work, it could be uh, a family, someone close here in the pews that you think isn't, li- you know, they're not living up to what they ought to be doing. And the idea of God showering mercy on them, of God doing something good for them, it really rubs you the wrong way. You're like, ah, uh, that person really doesn't deserve that. And honestly, here's the worst part. If God does that, then that person might thrive, might be redeemed, that group might excel, become more powerful and influential when they really don't deserve it. It would be bad if that happened to them. What would be the consequences of God showering grace on and those consequences might be awful. And so secretly you take joy when they fail and you hate hate it when they do well. What could possibly bring about that kind of deep-set bitterness? That kind of long-lasting, grinding, visceral animosity. Well, we, knew, we know what was up with Jonah. This is an interesting part of the text. Uh, so the cast lots, that's an ancient way of like you know, picking straws. Um, they do that and, and they find out that Jonah's the, the bad guy, he's the problem. And so listen to what they say. What do you do and where are you from? What's your country? What people are you? What they're asking is not like, what's your profession? They're not asking, like, oh, we'd like to hear about, you know, wherever, you know, whatever land you're from, you know, catch up on the local customs, maybe find out about the cuisine. No, no. They assume, and rightly so, that your country, your land, is indicative of who your god is. In the ancient world, gods, they were, lo- they were attached to localities, right? So the Assyrians had their gods. If you lived in Nineveh, Nineveh had its own gods. And the people outside of Israel, you know, like if you... Th- talk about Baal or Baal worship, that was the, the Canaanites' god. And it it, it did, it's not like you, you know, you chose your god. It's just wherever you were born, that was the god you kind of got. That was the god you were loyal to. And it was your god's job to protect you and care for you, right? So gods, in the ancient world, it was understood that there was like a kind of a compact, right? God says, I want this, this, and this. I need you to sacrifice your babies, And this happened. And then peoples would do that with the expectation then that their God would make them thrive, would give them great crops, would protect them and make them expand. And that the people in the boat, they know that this storm came out of nowhere. They know some God is behind it. What they want to know is which one and what's why is he so mad? And Jenna says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land, the creator God, the one who's in control of everything, right? You're wondering why we have this big bad storm? Well, it's because my God is the kind of one he can do what he wants with. He made it. What is saying is he's like, my God is responsible for the people of Israel, the Hebrew people. I know that because... Some years ago, he came to me and he told me what he was going to do for us. And I prophesied it, and it happened. He took care of us. He was good to us. Uh, so last week, I went to uh, Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota. I was in Burnsville for most of it. That's a suburb outside of the town. Very cold there. Uh, never got above zero degrees Fahrenheit. So it was like definitely... But it's, the, the Minnesotans are amazing people. Like, they... It, you would think that you would be uncomfortable a lot, but you're really not. Because everything there is heated and everything there is very wonderful. So you just have to get from, you know, the opening the car door to inside. They can they can eat inside restaurants there. It's barbaric. Um, as long as you get in there, you're, you're going to be safe. You're going to be warm. Um, and one of the things I was doing, I, Mike and I, he he and I, you may have heard. Well, I have a picture of him, don't I? There's Mike. Uh, that's his house. <laughs> yeah. My Mike lost his hair a long time ago, but he looks good as a bald dude, which is great, great for him, and he has a very meticulously well groomed beard. anyway, uh, so we went out there, we were working on some stuff for uh, sermon planning and all that. We write sermons together. Uh, here, and he's actually planning to come out at some point and and preach to you, because some of you are like, we assume that he's better than you, Tom, so we want to hear what real quality preaching looks like. I told him that, and he was like, all right, I'll I'll come out at some point during the summer or something like that. Maybe bring his family. They're great. Anyway, uh, one of the things that we did uh, is we went to uh, his ice house. Uh, His church, Mercy Road, Minnesota, they bought an ice house, which is basically an 18-foot trailer that they take out onto the frozen lake, um, and then they winch it down and, and then you walk in, and it's got eight little holes that you pull up uh, for ice fishing. And so then they take this big green drill called an auger, and, they, and we were on uh, 17 inches of ice. And this is like a lake that you swim in during the summer. But anyway, crazy land. Uh, so we burrowed down 17 inches of ice, and we were fishing. And I caught some fish. And it was really cool. Uh, and, oh, and it's very warm because they've got, uh, you know, propane, and they've got, enter- like, what are those called? the things that make the energy with the gas, generators, batteries. Like, I mean, this thing, is it's like you're 70 degrees, and you're, like, picking out, like, sub-zero fish. It's amazing stuff. Minnesota, uh, I make fun of flyover fly over country a lot. I'm going to say that there's now an exception for Minnesota, at least the greater Minneapolis area. It's just as good, if not better, than Orange County. So, for all of those of you who are ready to leave, you're planning on moving to Texas, because that's what we do, you might want to consider Minneapolis, too. It's awesome. All right. Anyway, uh, Mike is a, uh, he's a, he's a combat veteran. Um, he was a chaplain. He uh, served in Iraq in Basra um, at, the very, at the wrong time to be in Basra. As a result, um, unlike most chaplains, he has a, a bronze star for courage in the line of duty. That's his story to tell. Uh, but what he's done is he's gotten a very large group of um, m- m- combat veterans in, in the area, and he invites them to come to his ice house and fish. And so on Wednesday, when we were fishing in the ice house, we were joined by uh, some very, very tough hombres. Uh, people who are actual real heroes. Uh, people who don't talk about their service because what they've done is horrible, um, but they did it anyway. Um, and many of them come, came back with uh, some very deep, dark scars. I got to be a fly on the wall because when veterans get together, especially veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan, they're a little more free with their tongue, and so they speak a little bit more about their experiences to each other because other veterans get it uh, in a way that you or I probably wouldn't, uh, with the exception of those of you here uh, who are combat veterans. And one of the things that was interesting to me is I noticed I was listening to what they said and were saying, was there was a. There was kind of a, a sad cynicism about what they'd done. Not like like guilt. Like None of them were under the impression that their service had been morally wrong or anything like that, but um, a sense that it was kind of pointless. That there was no lasting value to the things that they had done and the things that had happened to them and the people that they knew. And part of it is I just feel, I felt that was very sad, and so I, I do encourage Mike and his ministry to continue um, ministering to those people. And for those of you um, who, uh, like Scott, who have a, a hand in ministry to veterans, I mean, it's, it's important, please carry on. Um, but notice how different that mentality is to the mentality that Jonah had. Right? Jonah was, like, all in on Israel. He was like, rah, rah, Israel. His whole ministry was based on seeing, you know, Israel made great again, right? It was Israel had been beaten down by their northern neighbors. And Jonah came up and a word from the Lord. He was the only guy saying it. He went out there and he said, we're going to take it back. God is going to be good to Israel. God's got our Israel first. God's with us. And then Jeroboam sweeps in and expands the, Israel, uh, the border back to where it, uh, its original, um, where it had been originally when God had set it out. It, a, a tremendous victory. Now the people can, can go back to their homeland. Israel first. Israel first. Israel first. Rah, rah, rah. Go Yahweh. You've got us under control. You... The people they were beating were allies of Nineveh, of Assyria. Assyrian, Assyrian power and influence, and, and specifically Nineveh, had financed the wars that had taken their land away. And now God says, Jonah, let's go make Nineveh great again. And, this, and, and Jonah says, "Yeah, I'd rather be dead. Because I know what they did to me and to my family. I know what they did to our land. And God, what you're saying makes no sense. Because if you bless Nineveh, if Nineveh begins to thrive, what are they going to do? just the same thing over again. They're going to come down and they're going to destroy us. God, why would you be doing this? What possible reason could you have for abandoning your own people? Just after we've won these victories and going and blessing the, the, the conquerors who, who destroyed us in the first place, how could you? See, Jonah, he doesn't have his, his God, his conception of Yahweh, his conception of God is, is sort of like a, a football team mascot. It's like you're always for us. And you're always rooting us on. And anything that you do that could threaten that, you would never do that. You would never do that. How, this, this can't be real. This can't be right. Meaning that Jonah put group identity. This is the next thing in your note sheet. He put a group identity above God's word. He said it's more important for me to be a part of this you know Israel, and Israel's thriving. It's more important to see Israel protected, and and if God has other plans, well then I'm just going to disobey. I'm just going to resist. And it brings up a question for us too, because I mean, if we're being honest with ourselves, we are always tempted to become a part of a group or a movement, an ideology, to which we become loyal over and above. God and it's not it's insidious. We don't we don't see it. We just don't imagine that God could ever be for them. Right? God's got to be for our group, our movement, our political party, our team, our church, our family. And God would never do anything to go beyond those things. That would be counter to God's purposes. And so if we think that possibly God might be that can't be God. That's not real. God's only for me and mine. How does this work out for Jonah? Obviously, God hurls this great wind. There's a great storm. Think about this, though. What was it that Jonah was trying to accomplish, right? What was he doing? Well, he was trying to, like, God, Jonah is, you know, committed to God. He just, he doesn't like this thing God's doing, doesn't understand it, is honestly offended by it. And so he's going to run away. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to avoid any kind of, like, you know, Collateral damage, right? He's like, I'm just going to get out of here. I'm going to go off and die. And then Israel's going to be fine. Like, my people are going to be good. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a bummer for me, but at least at least no one else gets hurt, right? That's kind of his plan. Go off to Spain. Everything will be fine. On the uh, plane ride back from Minneapolis, I watched the Truman Show, which I hadn't seen in a long time. I kind of wanted to see how it holds up I, on the way there, I watched Love and Monsters, which was not, not bad. You should check it out. Uh, Truman Show's terrible, horribly dark film. Um, as I was watching it, I felt bad about the universe. Um, but I, kept, I stuck with it because I was curious. And there's this great scene where, uh, if you don't know the story, like uh, Jim Carrey plays uh, Truman, uh, Truman Burbank, and Truman is the star of a reality show, only he doesn't know it. His entire life has been filmed, um, and his, he has no idea that the town he lives in is fake, filled with actors. His uh, wife is an actress, Horribly, uh, his best friend is an actor. He's been uh, pretending to be his best friend for like, you know, 30 years or something horrible. Um, and at one point, he's uh, sitting on the dock of of the, the water, and he's really in a funk. And the producers of the of the Truman Show, the TV show, they love it because they, the, the audience loves drama in Truman's life. And so the, the producer, the leader guy, he's like, man, we've really got to up the drama. And whenever somebody's sad in a movie or a TV show, the best way to up the drama is... Rain, exactly. As soon as someone's covered in rain, you're like, oh, they really must be feeling it. And so they flip the rain button, and this is what happens. (laughs) And so at first, Shreem is just sitting there. He's like covered in rain. He's like, yeah, this makes sense. I am miserable. And then he stands up and he walks to the side, and there's no rain there. He's like, What? And, the, and the, the priests are madly trying to get all the other rain to go on. Like, it's supposed to be, but all they have is, like, directed rain. So they, the rain follows him wherever he goes, and he's like, what is going on? He keeps moving back and forth, and it's, like, falling. And then finally all the rain comes down. And he's like, something's, something's very odd. <laughs> like, why would rain come after me and, and, and not everything else? And this is one of the clues that something's very off with um, the, the town that he lives in. But this is exactly what Jonah expects to happen. Right? Jonah's like, hey, I'm just going to take off. I'm going to go off and die. And the storm, it's just going to be between me and God. God, I'm mad at you. You can punish me with death. Fine. But I don't want anyone else to get hurt. But that's not how storms work. This isn't the Truman Show. The problem with storms is that they don't just follow one person. They don't just localize over one person. If it rains on Truman, it rains on everybody else too. And if the storm comes for Jonah, a whole lot of other sailors are going to get caught up in it. And the fact of the matter is, is that when we resist God... Storms follow. doesn't mean that every storm in your life is the result of some sin or resistance to God, but every sin in your life and every resistance to God brings a storm. And that storm is going to get a lot of people wet, not just you. You think that, you know, we're all basically libertarian in our ethics. We think that, hey, I'll do whatever I want as long as no one else gets hurt. Fact, yet, you know, fake news, reality check. If you... Are involved in something, it's gonna, other people are gonna get caught up in the tornado, in the, in the storm of your sin. There's gonna be a lot of sailors, innocent guys, who don't wanna be a part of the maelstrom that you're creating. And it begs the question what, what storms are you in right now? And, you know, the, the storms that are facing Coast Bible Church or my family or your family or your, your office or, you know, your community, your, friend, your circle of friends, uh, your country, <laughs> your county, your state, uh, the, the, those sins, I mean, they may not be the result of, you know, resisting God. They may not be the result of you running away from God, but they might. And you need to have discernment to say So it's been kind of a bad, sad story, right? Jonah's like, Israel first. And God's like, uh, I've got bigger plans than you know about. And Jonah runs pretty soon. He's gonna, so he gets thrown overboard. Of course, we all know that the next thing that happens is a great fish or a whale like swallows him. But in the midst of all of this, there's this really beautiful, like absolutely stunning expression of God's mysterious grace. Did you catch it? Like look at the text. Look, look at how this text ends, right? So first, Jonah's like, "Just throw me overboard." What do they do? They don't immediately throw him overboard. The first thing they try to do is they try to row to land. They don't want to kill this guy. These sailors, they don't want any blood on their hands, especially if they're, if his God is real. If, if Jonah's account of his God, Yahweh, he's the creator, he's the one who runs the ocean, the last thing they want to do is kill one of this God's, you know, prophets. Like, that would be real bad for them, right? And so they're like, like, oh, we gotta, we gotta get to land, but they can't. And so finally they give up, they're exhausted, and they're like, oh my gosh, we're going to have to do something terrible. And so what do they do? They pray to Yahweh for the very first time in their lives. They've prayed to all kinds of other gods, never Yahweh, and they say this, please Yahweh, don't let us perish on account of this man's life. We're sorry, we don't want to do this. Don't blame us for this innocent blood. You're Yahweh, whatever you do, you want, you can do. They've suddenly got faith in the creator God, like now they believe in Yahweh, they've never even heard of him before. (laughs) <laughs> then they pick up Jonah, they toss him in, and then what do they do? They worship Yahweh uh, with profound reverence. It's really um, ra'a, ra'a. It's a, it's a Hebrew repetition. It's actually a very poetic verse um, in the, where it says uh, profound reverence and made solemn promises. Those are two repetitions of Hebrew words. Um, and really, it's more like uh, they, fear, they, uh, they feared with great fear. And then they vowed with great vows at the bottom and made solemn promises. They feared with great fear. They vowed with great vows. That's a Hebrew way of saying they were insanely terrified and awestruck. And so they promised their, so they swore their lives to Yahweh. That will be a good English gloss of verse 16. The men worshipped Yahweh because they were terrified and in trembling awe. And so they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and they swore their lives to him. They got saved. Jonah's first converts. Right? He's a missionary, right? He's supposed to go out and get converts for the Lord. His first converts are the sailors on this boat. And the way he gets these converts is not by, like, you know, I mean, he does tell them who who God is. But the way he gets these converts is he begs them to kill him. Like, please, kill me. And then after they do it, the the sea stops. And they're like, oh, my gosh, that God is real. Yahweh is the real deal. We've never seen anything like this. And we're going to be for Yahweh for the rest of our lives. You sometimes wonder, right? You sometimes wonder, like, is God, was God in charge of things? Like, what's God doing? And it brings up a, a question, right? Like, did God choose Jonah? Because he knew Jonah would re- to resist. And so he'd have an opportunity to save these sailors. That's possible, right? Maybe, maybe God in God's infinite wisdom is looking out and, say, and saying, you know what? I, I, I love these guys. These, these guys on this ship. This ship, they, they, I, I want them. And so he's like, okay, so I'm going to put together an intricate plan where I'm going to send Jonah to Nineveh. He's going to end up in the ship. They're going to toss him overboard, and then they're going to be mine forever. Or maybe it's it's possible that maybe, maybe God's kind of like, Jonah, I'm curious to see what you'll do with this. And Jonah's like, no thanks. And so he goes, and then while God's kind of focusing on what Jonah's up to, he sees these sailors, and he's like, man, I want them too. And so I'm going to find a way to orchestrate these circumstances so that even in Jonah's, like, the the deepest, worst storm of sin that he can create, I am going to create grace out of that. Either one's possible, and maybe both are true. All I know is that we can say this with the fact that God's grace is so mysterious that even in the midst of your worst storm sin, sin storm, you're, doing the, you're at the bottom, you're doing all the wrong things, you're failing, 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 you're running, 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 you're resisting, resisting, resisting. God can still create grace out of that and can save others. This is not an invitation, by the way, to go be a bad person. Don't be like, oh... Sin boldly and see see in the wreckage of my sin how God works things Don't do that. That's a bad call. But take heart, knowing that even at your worst, even at our worst, even at our greatest failure, God's big enough, strong enough, sovereign enough, good enough, loving enough to go out and make something beautiful happen. God's grace is mysterious. And if we look back in our lives, we can see that there have been times where we've been forced to our knees. There's been times that we've shaken our fist. There have been times that we've been lovingly serving all in on what God's about. There have been times where we've just kind of ignored God. But in all of these, God's grace keeps abounding, keeps overflowing in our lives and into the lives of the people around us. God's grace is mysterious, but it's good. And it demonstrates a love that's beyond anything we can possibly imagine. And what would it look like if we extend that same grace to the people in our lives? What would it look like if when God called us and said, that person needs my love too, that group needs my love too, instead of saying, I'm running away. We say, instead, maybe God, you want us to love our enemies too. Maybe we should extend grace to them too. Even if we don't understand it, even if it might threaten us, that your love's boundless and doesn't have boundaries or borders. Your grace is unlimited. And it transforms even the most distant heart. And what if we live that out to the people that we're absolutely sure don't deserve it? Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, you provide a mysterious and wild grace that we can't possibly fathom. You call out our darkest, deepest enemies and seek to transform them, lead them into repentance and love. Even in the midst of our waywardness, you find ways to gather people to yourself, to transform hearts and and seal them as your own. God, may we be a people that do not resist your call, even when we don't understand it, even when we're certain that it will bring us harm. And may may we marvel at the way that your Holy Spirit seeds your grace in the name of your Son to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.